0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming live on WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons. We are the co-hosts usually on Thursdays at 5 of Driving Forces, but we're here uh, for a special occasion today uh, to continue uh, coverage
1: here of the women's marches. So it's good to be with you, Jeff. Glad to see you. Great to spend a Saturday afternoon with you, Celeste. And the first thing I looked out for on the way here was just to check the subways. Yeah. About because I recall the first year when uh, the first marches were held, and how you know uh, lively the scene was on on mass transit in the city. I barely saw that today, and it could be because at that point when I was on the way here uh, to Brooklyn, people were actually up marching and were uh, on their way to the rally, maybe, but didn't see as much activity as I had expected.
0: Well, you know, it's this is I but the third year now, right? The third year of marches and it's uh, interesting, and I think we're going to talk about this with some of our guests. I mean, it's, a, you know, clearly it's a real movement. It's a big thing. I remember um, I was fortunate enough to be in Washington for the first one, actually, and it was, uh, you know, around the time of the inauguration, I was covering the inauguration, and then I was covering, uh, you know, the Women's March uh, sort of launched at that time, and just seeing this absolute, I would say, river Of people marching, but it was more like an ocean. People just, women just taking over and their allies just taking over uh, Washington, D.C. and sending this very, very powerful message, this very personal message about women's rights and about equality. And uh, it was amazing to see now that we've, you know, we've come a little way since then. So, in terms of the evolution of the march, and there's been some some changes to the organization, some divisions in the organization, uh, some controversy, frankly. So that's I hope we can talk about that, you know, today as well.
1: And I expect we're going to get a lot of the in our calls today. I would like to let our listeners know the number to call, and we will be taking your calls over the next two hours: two one two two zero nine two. 877 that's the number you should give a call to once again 2122092877 Uh, You can also check us out, and if you want, post something on our Facebook page. It's Forces Driving, even though we're called Driving Forces. That's the one we could come up with. (laughs) Or tweet to us uh, at Forces Driving as well. We'll be monitoring your tweets. We've been following all day, even some of the folks that we're going to have on the show today. We have a good lineup of a number of individuals uh, that we'll tell you about throughout the show. But as Celeste just talked about a moment ago, Uh, You know, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of diversity uh, of opinion about the different events because... Uh, especially here in New York City but we'll be speaking to folks from DC as well from correct
0: yeah we are we're going to have people from actually from all over and we're going to be able to talk to people about you know specifically how the marches are going uh, in New York and in Washington and there are marches of course all over the country uh, there were some marches though that are uh, divided uh, that would be the case here in New York there's some marches even that were canceled over some of these controversies which is interesting so I think uh, you know if people do want to call in and again we really would like to hear from you about your experience. Did you march today? Did you not march today? How come we're at 212 209 And we have a caller. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, start with the caller. Hi, caller. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, uh, my name is Mike. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Hey, Mike, what's up?
2: Um, I, well, I, I just came back from the march. Uh, I marched with a, a few uh, friends uptown, um, at the uh, the one going
1: down Central Park West, mm-hmm. that would be the uh, the wi- one organized by the Women's March Alliance, the Women's March on NYC. Yeah, and what led you to participate in that one, and what brought you out there to that event?
2: Um. Well, I uh, you know primarily uh, you know in protest of the Trump regime. And um, I just feel like the one that, that was downtown, I mean, I don't know, I feel like it's like a pox on both their houses in terms of, like, the organizers, um, because the one uptown, the Alliance, I saw just, I didn't know this from last year, although I guess I should have, um, but they uh, they had a platform, at least, that, that was uh, amenable to uh, a group called Zionists, which has, like, Um, pro-israel uh group and then downtown i just i I read a number of like socialist uh alternative and there's peace in jacobin recently that's defending the women's march inc specifically tamika mallory and saying that you know it's it's about an association with the um with the nation of islam that it's you know there's an, a guilt by association, and then uh, Linda Sarsour is, is smeared because she's associated with someone associated, and how unfair it is, and it's primarily because of their righteous, in my opinion, like um, you know, pro-Palestinian BDS movement work. But the thing that they allied and conveniently forget or not, I don't know what their motivation is, it's not just an association. I mean, the woman Tamika specifically put uh, a, a post up on her Instagram feed saying that Farrakhan was the greatest of all time. That's not just like, oh, they did helpful work when this you know tragedy happened, and I understand her past, and I understand what um, you know, work Nation of Islam has done in the Black community. But, like, you don't get to say he's the greatest ever and then say we disagree. He's not, you know, he doesn't uh, conform to the points of unity. That's It's a completely in contradiction. So I, I don't get it. I think that beyond being a personality issue, it's more about how do we get away from these kind of leadership, um, uh, the sort of, like, celebrity personality leadership uh, forms that movements seem to— you know, be organized by? How do we get to more? I don't know if you want to say horizontalist because there's issues there, but I just, I feel like, you know, there, there's, there's gotta be some more honesty, um, specifically from my social democratic comrades and like Jacobin and all these other groups that are, that are saying it's not really a big deal. Cause I think it is a big deal. I think you know, Farrakhan, like needless to say is, uh, not cool, to say the least, and and that stuff is not uh, it, it should shouldn't be like shunted aside just for sake of you know uh, making the correct point about how people are being smeared on the other end by people
1: so, you know. So who let are me let me inter- Israel, you know pro Israel. Yeah, let me interrupt for one second though. At the very beginning, you mentioned what brought you out to march, and amid all this firestorm, that what's so interesting is that. That's where I'm seeing the whole discussion go about the conflicting marches, the division, the divisiveness. And, you know, I know why a number of my friends are out there marching today, whatever march they're in They're I mean, they're they've got issues that they're extremely concerned about. And that kind of got lost in a lot of this. We're talking about unity or inclusiveness. But, you know, do you think some of it when you were out there today on the streets, did you at least feel like you were part of a movement this year or did you still were you still concerned about what was going on behind the scenes?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, I I see a lot of people, uh, you know, who are registering to vote and 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 all that. And that's fine. I feel like we should be a little bit further along in our analysis and our critique. And it's not about both sides, you know. I mean, there's, you know, Trump is the primary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, he 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 is the emergency, right? He's got his hand on the executive, uh, the the lever of the executive branch. Great man. He's the immediate concern. But uh, as far as uptown, it just it seems to be a lot of a lot of liberals. Um, Uh, and and, and people, you know, with really cool signs and stuff. I'm sure that downtown had more um, explicitly radical and revolutionary types. I don't know. Maybe somebody else uh, who wants to call me can talk more to that. As far as
1: being
2: part of, like, a movement, it it, it really wasn't my crowd, but, you know, that's, that's a mass movement. It has all types.
0: All right, thanks very much, Mike. We really appreciate your call. And we're going to be coming up on uh, one of our uh, guests pretty soon. We have one more call we're going to take real quick. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Where are you calling from? What's your name?
3: Hi, my name is Lee. I'm calling from New Jersey and I'm not marching today.
0: Okay, and how come you're and not one marching? of the today? reason
3: why I'm not marching, and I hope we can get through this, so I'll try to go as quickly as possible. Okay, thanks. Is because I am against abortion. I'm against abortion for me and I'm against abortion for you. However, and the reason why is because I believe abortion, that is a child. And what we have left after we've aborted is people who are willing to kill their own children, and I have a problem with that. However, I don't believe that I have a right to tell you what to do with your body, and that's where I get into conflict with a lot of evangelicals. They say, well, no, because should we be like China and make you get an abortion if you don't want one? And that's the way I feel. I feel it's a person's body, and I don't get the right to tell them what to do. But so, I believe in supporting people financially, mm-hmm. and if they have children, and giving them money, if we can help them. If finances is it, I don't think that should be the reason why someone should get a, an abortion. So okay. that's the
4: way I
0: No, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in, and thank you for, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us here at, at uh, WBAI. So, we are uh, going to uh, come up, I think, now. Are we ready for our uh, next guest? Okay, great. So, uh, just wanted to remind you guys you are listening to WBAI here at 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons. We are with you until 4 o'clock today, Eastern Time, and we are talking about the Women's March. And,. Our next guest coming up is somebody I've known for a while who I think will bring some interesting insight into uh, the women's movement and uh, politics and where we are with that today. It's uh, Simone Sanders. She's a CNN political commentator and a senior advisor for political outreach and communications at Priority USA. She uh, probably is, uh, if not familiar to you uh, from TV, she is... uh, probably known to you as the national press secretary for the 2016 Bernie Sanders for President campaign. Uh, she's now a resident fellow at the University of Southern California's Life Center for the Political Future, and she was formerly a resident fellow at Harvard's Institute for Politics at the Kennedy School. So, Simone, great to have you on the air. we for having me today. Great. So, maybe you could just start us off and tell us a little bit about what you think is you know what's what's the sort of state of play with the women's march and the women's movement here? and uh, you know how far have we come since since this really started out right after uh, the Trump inauguration?
5: Well, I will say that I think this this burgeoning, this burst, if you will, of so many women um, across the country really coming together on one accord was. Cemented right after Trump's inauguration uh, in uh, 2017, but it had been percolating, if you will, for a really, really long time. Like the women's movement, in my opinion, never really stopped. But there was this culmination, if you will, um, given the things that had happened on the campaign trail in 2016, uh, then Secretary Clinton's uh, historic, um, historic feat of being the first woman of any major. You know, political party to be the nominee, coupled with um, Donald Trump's misogyny, and sexism, um, really, I think was a was a was a crossroads for so many women in this country. Women that were not previously engaged or involved um, in the movement for uh, equity when it comes to uh, women across the country. So I think since that time, I have been happy to see so many people. Um, really put their feet to the fire and get engaged and get involved, um, become what I like to call radical revolutionaries in their everyday lives, uh, whether we're talking about on school boards, whether we're talking about in, in business, um, or whether we're talking about just in your local community um, doing what you can where you are. And that's why I think today is important. I think um, the whole month of March will, uh, continue, will be important and will continue to remind us of this work. March is, in fact, Women's History Month. Um, so I'm excited about today. I know that there's a lot of a lot of other things happening around uh, this movement space when we talk about specifically the women's March. But I think in general and overall, um the message is still really clear that we cannot wait for change, but change does take time. And that's why we can't wait, but well, we can't wait to act. And so women all across the country, um, black, white, Native American, Asian American, Pacific Islander, and otherwise, are actively making the decision to act and push for change in their communities every single day.
1: So um, this is uh, Jeff speaking. The uh, There was a piece in the New York Times today in the opinion section by Michelle Goldberg that was very interesting. And I just want to read a passage from it and then get your thoughts that she kind of characterized what's gone on as an implosion in the digital age as a result of people Um, are are often uh, left trying to create a movement after a high profile action rather than before it without clear common goals or leaders who have broadly accepted legitimacy. And she ends by saying, it's painful to see the women's march fall apart now, but maybe it was always destined to be a moment instead of a movement. What's your thoughts on that?
5: My thought is that we have now more women in Congress serving than any other point in time in history before and it is an intersectional coalition of folks that made that possible but it was women that stepped up and decided to put their names on the ballot and run for office in places and spaces where people told them that they maybe were not electable or didn't belong like folks like to talk about ayanna presley who is participating in her local women's march today congresswoman ayanna presley the first black woman to represent congress from Uh, the Commonwealth of of Massachusetts uh, and Ayanna Pressley is somebody that nobody asked to run. People now like to tout the historic candidacy of Stacey Abrams, um, the first black woman to be the gubernatorial, the Democratic nominee for governor in Georgia, but the party wasn't asking Stacey Abrams to run. Folks actually went and found somebody else to run against her because they thought that she wasn't electable and she couldn't win a primary, let alone a general election. So I I think what what I take from, I think there is valid criticism to go around when it comes to um, the Women's March entity and organization, but I, I don't think we can discount the work that the Women's March um, has done, that they were, for a lot of people, a catalyst. They were and still are today um, a conduit through, people, through which folks can channel their energy, and so regardless of how you feel about uh, any one of the Women's March leaders, the movement in and of itself... Um, is, in my opinion, not tied to one particular organization or one particular person. And so I think the folks who, I, I, I think people are um, pontificating and giving very broad generalizations um, and indicting a movement, a movement of women from all walks of life that have come together and have continued to do really great things. I mean, look, in this, the Democratic primary is, is, is underway right now, the presidential primary, and we already have more women uh, who have put their name on the ballot Um, and decided throw their name in the hat to run for president than ever before. Uh, That is not an anomaly. This is, there is something that has been happening, uh, and there's something that's continuing to happen. So whether the Women's March organization um, is around 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, the work, I will believe, will continue.
0: That's exactly actually where I wanted to go with this. You must be a a mind reader, but uh, but seriously, I mean, you know, the idea, because we're looking forward now, or... uh, you know, looking at, I don't know if people are looking forward to what could be a really, really intense Democratic primary with a lot of people fighting it out for the chance to go up against Donald Trump. And I think you and I have talked about whether uh, that's going to be a healthy thing or if it's just going to be kind of a bloodbath, if it's going to weaken the party. But do you see any, uh, any parallels between sort of Any disunity in the Democratic Party and any disunity in the the women's movement, uh, you know, specifically the march? Because the march, I thought, ultimately was about bringing people together. And the Democratic Party, you know, should be ostensibly trying to unite in some way against Donald Trump to knock him out of there. So are are we just at a moment of, of sort of chaos or is this normal?
5: No, absolutely not. I think this is very normal. Look, historically um so the, the women's movement the movement for women's equality and equity has not really done intersectionality well there have there have been many movements that haven't done it well the civil rights movement um i could go on but i think particularly at this point in time that we are in that you know we will look back 60 years from now um and i think we'll have a we'll have a whole lot of say and a lot of dissection at this particular point in time um there is space for lots of different conversations. People forget that the Democratic Party is really a party of disparate factions, warring factions, if you will, that have organized themselves under an umbrella of shared values, not necessarily shared issues. And at any given time in history, depending on which faction um, of the Democratic Party, we can talk about whether it's millennials, whether it's activists, whether it's reproductive rights folks, whether it's the quote-unquote moderate Democrats. I can go on. We can list a 100 factions if we say it's. If we, we stayed in conversations for this for a while, depending on which faction um, has garnered the, the most power or attention, if you will, that directs the, um, the direction of the Democratic Party apparatus, meaning the, the elected officials, the, the party committees, so on and so forth. And so what we're seeing right now is natural. I think the party is going through a transition much like um, Western democracy is going through a transition. The women's movement is going through a transition. America is browning. By 2040, America will be majority people of color, and the majority of that majority will be folks from the Latinx community. So this is something um, that we frankly just have never seen before, and so adjustments have to be made. But I don't think this is chaos at all. I think these are natural growing pains of movements, of coalitions, um, and I think maybe because of social media, they're just exacerbated.
1: So, um, you know, I've— not had an opportunity today to watch any of the coverage on air because i was on my way here and um you know i know that a number of uh you know organizers of previous marches opted not to uh, hold Mm -hmm. marches today and also here in the city a number of organizations opted not to go out because they didn't want to get up get caught up in the controversies you know one thing that i i just feel was lost in a lot of this is you know the the the, the messaging the unity that you know talking about some of the issues that are so important you know I mean, I remember this being fueled by concerns about about uh, the way women were treated by uh, Trump and the administration and about scaling back on women's rights and about immigrant rights. And it just was so disheartening to me not to see that discussion now, but to see most of the coverage focused on the divisiveness as we're moving towards 2020. Do you think that we're all going to get our act together by next year? Do you think it's just going to continue? You know, because we're looking ahead right now. We we talked about the presidential candidates. Mm -hmm. This is going to be, you know important, uh, you know, uh, to to watch. What do you think happens moving ahead?
5: I think it's on us, meaning um, folks in the media, uh, voters, people who are a part of campaigns, operatives. I think it's on all of us to elevate the conversation, to speak truth to power. I think it's on folks to denounce um, racism, transphobia, bigotry, anti-Semitism, call it out when we see it. But it's on us to elevate the conversation. And I think something that uh, Donald Trump, if you will, the president embodies is what happens when you do not elevate the conversation. You know, anybody that has ever come at Trump and met him right where he is um, and wants to fight him down in the gutter, they never do well. And they don't do well because uh, Donald Trump really has a monopoly on how he likes to fight. But you have to always elevate the conversation. I think when it comes to a lot of the issues that we are um, discussing or frankly not discussing because Folks are talking about the controversy of specific individuals, as opposed to uh, the, the the values of this movement overall. Um, these are these are things that have to be elevated. That we have to make a conscious decision to continue to talk about. I mean, I was on television um, on Friday, and. Someone presented what was currently the, the the issue between Congress and the president as well. You know, both sides need to pull it together. And I almost lost my mind because I said, you know, this is not a both sides situation. But in in the pursuit of um, what we believe is journalistic parity, um, or the parity and purity of being able to present all sides of a situation, we fall into painting everyone with a broad with a broad stroke brush. And so I I think where we go from here, particularly going into um, a, a presidential primary season and then a general election that will be very contentious, that will be robust uh, but it might get a little ugly in the general election especially it is on all of us to continue to elevate the conversation and and not fall into painting with a broad brush um, and you know not being willing to call a thing a thing um, because no one wants to be seen as for one quote unquote side or the other
0: and uh, you know Maybe just uh, maybe this is a little self interested, but this is actually a very sincere question. Um, when we talk about uh, how much of the coverage of this year's Women's March or Women's Marches (plural) has been focused on sort of discord and disagreements within uh, uh, within the movement, I mean, how much of this is do you see as, as uh, an issue with the media? I mean, you know, in in a re- very real way. And you know, I'm just saying this to you, but I'm also saying it to the listeners. I mean there's always the challenge of finding a new way to cover a recurring event. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just like political, uh, just like politics, no elections, they're cyclical. And uh, you have to find a new angle, a new way to get people interested. And it's also, um, you know, people have been writing for a long time about how important it is to defend Roe versus Wade or how important it is to pass the ERA. Uh, This is uh, stuff that uh, I've written about many times, but, you know, Maybe you have some advice for, like, how can the media uh, not sort of fall into the hole of just, you know, writing about the infighting, but make it interesting in a new way to people that say, like, okay, look, I know that equal pay for women is important, but I already know that. Tell me something more. <laughs>
5: you know, I think that's one of the challenges that befalls, you know, the the, the present-day, uh media if you will and I know the media hates being called the media uh, but I think that's one of the challenges for present-day media because uh, is it is it the journalists job is it the correspondence the reporters job to um, bring the facts and educate an audience of listeners or readers or watchers of their programs or, or their newspapers um, or their their shows or is it the reporters journalists uh, correspondents job to um present all sides and it's not necessarily an education it's just you know regurgitating the lay of the land like people like a horse race people like controversy frankly folks have lots to say about cable news but you know cable news is the the nature of cable news is what it is right now because many people have yet to turn off the television so if you don't like what you're seeing on fox and msnbc or cnn uh turn it off. But the fact of the matter is people haven't turned off their television because they, they cannot look away. They want to continue to engage. Um, and I think some news organizations than others do a way better job of making sure that they're, that, you know, that the listener, the reader, the watcher can come to their outlet and be, be able to be educated, but at the end of the day, make their own decision. But frankly, the media hasn't done it well. And I don't think we've truly learned um, the lessons of 2016. And I'm concerned about going into another presidential election um, where all folks want to do is cover the horse race and no one is really highlighting policy.
0: So did you make your pick yet on uh, on uh, the person you <laughs> like in the, in the uh, Democratic primary? No pressure. You know what, look, no I pressure. think we're
5: going to have a very robust primary. I'm excited to see so many people out there. I'm excited about Um, folks that I I hope are announcing but have yet to announce Uh, and I I can't tell you who's going to be the Democratic nominee and I can't tell you who's going to be the next president of the United States but I can say that whomever emerges as the Democratic nominee um, will be battle-tested because I do believe this will be a robust primary and I think that will be the best person to take on President Trump.
0: Uh, and obviously, this is a, a question I have to ask you, having worked for uh, for Senator Sanders last time he ran. Uh, what's his uh, What's his program? What's his plan?
5: Well, you know, I'm not here to make any news today on Senator Sanders. <laughs> I think he he has yet to announce whether he is or is not running for president. And I think you will hear from him sometime soon, one way or another. I will say this though that Can I, you it, hear the sound of my heart of
0: breaking over this radio right now? <laughs>
5: I think we've seen a lot of people announce early because this is going to be a primary contest with perhaps 20 different candidates, and someone who does not have a lot of name recognition. I mean, we all know who we know who Elizabeth Warren is, but all of the listeners might not know. And so, it is advantageous for Elizabeth Warren, for Senator Gillibrand, for Secretary Castro, Julian Castro, to get out there early. Someone like um, Vice President Joe Biden or Senator Bernie Sanders. Like the name recognition is so ridiculous. You can wait three more months to decide if you want to run for president. So you know, Bernie has that latitude, and I and I think
1: he's going to use it all up. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, you are correct, by the way, about not being able to look away because I have CNN on in my home constantly. It's you know, it used to be New York One. Uh, no offense to New York One, but uh, I've been uh, religiously watching CNN. So thank you so much for joining Celeste and uh, me here on WBAI this afternoon.
5: Well, thank you all so much for having me. I'm I'm excited about the conversation. I hope to come back and chat again soon.
0: And, Simone, where can people find you? I, I, I think almost everybody already has. But for the, uh, the couple of people who have not found you on social media, where should they look?
5: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Simone D. Sanders. Simone with a Y. At Simone D. Sanders. I do follow back. <laughs>
0: okay, thank awesome. You. Thank you, Simone. Great to have you on the show. All right, bye. So uh, if you are just joining us, once again, this is WBAI 99.5 FM, and I am Celeste Katz here with uh, Jeff Simmons. We're here till four o'clock talking about a big day here, the uh, women's marches uh, in New York and Washington, all over the country, and some of the, the uh, divisions, some of the controversies. And, and you know, uh, where are we going with this? And I think that our next guest is uh, somebody who's going to be able uh, to help us to help us work some of that out. So we are pleased to welcome to the program uh, Zakiya Ansari. She is uh, the advocacy director of the New York State Alliance for Quality Education. Uh, she works on educational justice in our state and improving it. Mom of eight kids, grandparent of three. She is. Uh, dedicated almost 20 years of her life she says for the fight for educational justice and ending the oppression of black and brown people Uh, she's been one of city and state magazine's most influential Uh, she volunteers with the new york justice league and she's a member of women's march nyc so zaki it's a pleasure to have you on the show March. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, maybe we could just uh, get get started and uh, just you know what? How did it go today? How's it going today? What are you seeing? What are you doing? uh,
4: It was great. I mean, one thing I know for sure, um, as crazy as weather is, like our ancestors or whoever you believe in, it was meant to be because this weather could have been so much worse. Even though it was cold, and we got through the whole thing without any kind of flurries or anything showing up. So, first of all, that's one thing I want to make sure I acknowledge. Um, But it was amazing. The energy was amazing. The folks in the space were um, celebratory. The music and the performances were just really a perfect day.
1: And uh, where exactly were you? And uh, I'm, you know, one thing I we just talked about on the show was my frustration about what was dominating the conversation, and that it was kind of dampening, you know, the me- uh, you know, consistent messaging or the calls on the president, you know, to take action on whether it was reproductive rights or immigration. So, you know, what were people talking about in the streets today? What were some of the common themes and issues that you heard about and saw? Yeah.
4: Um, I mean, what we know for a fact is that every issue is a woman's issue. So, you know, I saw signs around um, a, a new Green Deal, um, obviously reproductive rights, um, and just a lot of things. Some signs, too, that were like, impeach Trump uh, as well. Um, but the messaging was around domestic violence. Uh, you know, people were uh, championing uh, resources to support and protect women against domestic violence, Again, uh, education um it was it was amazing it was it was any issue that you know that you think that uh, that is important to you, it was shared rather it was through the voices of the folks who participated or the folks in the in the audience what, um, what yeah you, so I mean yeah, I ahead. was
1: gonna say given that what do you think some of the lessons of today like what are the takeaways for people, especially if after today's activities all end they start thinking about next year, what are some of the things that you think people should be? you know, taking away today to motivate them to, you know, come together next year or to refine a message. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. So I said I'm a mom of eight, but I also have seven girls in that process. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so I believe in the core of, you know, the National Women's March who coined the phrase when they first started, like right, the rise of the woman equals the rise of the nation. Or at least that's the first time I heard, I shouldn't say they coined the phrase, but that was the first time I heard it. And I believe that in my core, not only because I have seven daughters, because of the work that I've done and the women that I've seen over the years really do work, um, and do the justice work and put in the work. Um, and so I think every time they put out a call, whether it was the rise of the woman equals the rise of the nation or the next year which was power to the polls or this year, which is women's um, wave, like every time women have stepped up beyond what the expectation was. And if anybody can heal, bring us together, um, I believe in my core that it will be women. You know, men have had hundreds of years to figure this out. They haven't done the best job, right? And I think it's a moment for us to really now allow um, what was started by the Women's March, this movement, to continue in a way. Like, we've seen it, the blue wave that happened in Congress, but we also had a blue wave here in New York State as far as politics is concerned. The difference is, and what I want people to go away with, is that it's not enough to have a wave if the politics – I'm sorry, if the policy – don't ensure that those most oppressed and marginalized um, are supportive of them. Right. And so every educational justice is not at the forefront. If we don't begin to talk about racism and classism, then we will continue to spin our wheels um, in, in injustice. And one thing I think people should take away is that the women of this country and of this nation um, of this world, of this globe can have a real impact on real, Issues that impact you right now, not necessarily all the way down the line, but can have immediate impact on
0: you. I was interested to know if you felt like there was any kind of a different energy at any of the any of the. Uh march activities or any of the uh the stuff surrounding it this year just because there was uh, women had so many successes in the midterm elections and, you know as you mentioned a lot you know record numbers of women running winning nominations winning contests mm-hmm. record number of women now uh in washington but at the same time you know women are still underrepresented women of color are underrepresented especially so um, what did that play into any of the the sort of the the passions of of what we were feeling today were people excited or people still feel like more towards the side of like we still have a long way to go
4: yeah i mean i you know what i just think of myself as a black muslim woman in this country who's 51 years old i've seen a lot my mom has shared a lot about what's happening with her and when she was younger right so those most closest to the issue who are oppressed or marginalized um Every step that gets us that much closer is that step for freedom and liberation. What we know is that there are some who are just experiencing some of the oppressive policies, whether rather it's through this, um, the furlough piece or everything that's happened with the shutdown on the government, or even before there was just this Trump's assault on women, period, that, are, are, um, that needed this Women's March to really motivate them, the pink hats, right, are an ex- 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 example of that. Needed this march to really motivate them to think outside of what they experience on a daily basis. And so while I believe the energy there was, it was electrifying, right? When we get around each other and we hear stories, because stories matter, of those who oppress, oppressed, but also those who have levels of victories and successes behind that, we get energized by that. Because all we see on the news and everything else and reading the paper is so negative, and you would think that we never do anything positive in this world, right? Um, and so to see that, I think it energizes folks. And, and it's important to give people a level of hope, right? Because there's so many times you can feel hopeless uh, as we sit here today um, and as we go through our lives. But the march, um, and, and I guess I would call, you know, the one we had in New York City was the Unity Rally. What I know for a fact is that the, the, the energy was really exciting and electrifying. And I do believe that people were left feeling inspired and hopeful. And that's, at the end of the day, if people lose hope, then we are—we really are doomed. So we have to give people hope whenever we can and however we can.
0: And as far as people wanting to get involved, maybe there are people who are marching for the first time this year, people who uh, maybe stayed away. And, and you know, I don't know what the numbers on that are, but I mean, what would you say to anybody who maybe thought about participating in the march and believes in the idea of advancing the cause of women's rights and women's equality, but looked at some of the controversies uh, that were in the news and said, look, I, I, don't, I don't know which side I'm on. This is, maybe this right. isn't the way to express myself. How do you, how do you talk to people who are, are sort of confused about how to look at that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you
4: have to look at the messenger um, and those folks who are being attacked. Like, the, for us, the con- there was no controversy. Like, we didn't make the controversy that the press and everybody had out there. That was not on Women's March NYC right? That was not on New York Immigration Coalition. And so I think if we realize, even in the state where we are now, like, the goal is, many people are more attracted to the drama than they are of the hard work. I've learned that over the last few years, right? I would rather, I've seen people that would rather um, talk badly or think something badly of somebody else less rather than do the actual work of creating policy, holding folks accountable, and actually organizing people on the ground, right? And, you know, I feel like the the whole march from the very beginning to the end has spoken for itself within their principles that everybody can stand for, that everyone can stand for, like they believe in the principles from the Women's March. And so you galvanize to that one principle that you believe in, whether it's climate change, whether it's education, whether it's racial justice, women's rights, whatever that is, and just follow, just understand that there was no controversy. The controversy was somewhere, but it wasn't with us. And so... Um, I, we need people to get out there in the streets, uh, wh- to not let what we know happens in the past, which is negative stuff gets put in the pool and everybody gravit- gravitates to that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's refocus uh,
6: mm-hmm.
4: and really create the world, the New York, the nation that we want to leave our children, mm-hmm. right? And right now, um, the Women's March has been leading that from the get-go, from $5 million in the beginning right to where we are now to the women's wave, to power to the polls. Like every time they put out, of a, put out a demand for us to step up to, as women we stepped up and we stepped beyond, especially as black women.
7: We, we
4: broke through all kinds of barriers and numbers to really step up. It's anybody. Right. If any group of people can make a change in this country. I, I, I Quote me on this, it will
0: be women.
1: I think Jeff has a question for yeah, you. Yeah, And as you're saying that, it really is leading into what I wanted to ask about, because I do work with one nonprofit that has, you know, wanted to ride this wave of increased civic engagement. So no matter, you know, putting the controversies aside, how um, inspiring has it been to see this level of civic engagement at this point in our history?
4: Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. um, you know, I said I'm 51. I've been doing educational justice work for about, you know, almost 20 years now, um, and you know I think it's amazing. I think one thing is really important for us to keep moving on this um, and understand. One thing I realize: if those pink hats that are so wonderfully um, fighting for justice for reproductive rights are not as vocal and in the streets uh, with Black Lives Matter activists and in communities. Um, then we will then then this will be for not right those pink hats have to be just as vocal on reproductive rights which is the right thing to do as it is when young black children or adults or folks or bodies are being assaulted in the street um whether it's by police officers or others right um and if we are not able to do that if they're not able to connect that with our indigenous brothers and sisters who are fighting for water or little miss flint who still has you know, poison water in, in Michigan, Flint, Michigan, then we will continue to see this vicious cycle. I believe that we can get there. But I think we have to trumpet that and say that more to folks who wear the pink hats, that we need to see them just as, as, as vocal and angry and demanding when black and brown folks are in the street fighting for their rights.
1: Were you surprised by any of the absences today, the groups or organizations that you felt should have been out there?
4: Look, I, I, I am a, I didn't know what organizing was 20 years ago. I had no idea. It took me a long time to realize what that was. Um, and when I stand up and I fight for educational justice, I'm fighting for those parents who haven't found their voice yet to speak up and, and community members who have not found their voice to speak up. And I feel it's the same way in this particular instance. When folks were ready, they will come, um, and, and they will be glad that they did come. But in the meantime, the people that were there, their voices were extremely loud, and whatever comes of this, will be something that impacts those people who didn't even show up, right? And so it's not about worrying about who didn't show up. It's about ensuring that those who showed up have the messaging left with hope um, and are excited about the next step because they will then go tell a friend and they will tell somebody else. And that's how we make a movement happen and continue a movement that's already started by the Women's March.
0: So, uh, Zakia Ansari, if people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they look Uh, on the Internet? Where can they find you?
4: Sure, Zakia Ansari. I, um, I'm on Instagram at uh, Zansari8 underscore. I'm on Twitter. Follow me there, uh, Zansari8, uh, 8 because I have eight kids. I, I love that number. Ah, and got please it. follow our, organi- <laughs> our organization, <laughs> uh, Alliance for Quality Education uh, at aqeny.org. Um, and if you message me, you know I'd love to have more conversation around educational justice. Uh, and thank you for having me on.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
4: Have a good
1: Saturday. So you are listening uh, to me, Jeff Simmons, and Celeste Katz here on WBAI 99.5 FM. The number to call in, we're taking your calls today, is 212-209-2877.
0: Yeah, and we would like to hear from you. And I guess my question is, uh, one of the questions that I have asked our guests so far in the program, which is sort of, if you're looking at this from the outside, maybe thinking that you want to get involved, that women's rights, women's equality means something to you, is being part of the Women's March or a Women's March the right way to go? Or is, is that something that seems like, you know, sort of chaotic? Does it seem sort of confusing? Does it seem like people are focused on any kind of infighting, maybe the press, maybe the people who are participating, and, uh, you know, aren't really sticking to the message of of what this is supposed to be about? We would like to hear from you, 212-209-2877. And we have a caller now. Hi, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
8: Uh, Denise Brooklyn. Um, The Women's March is about women, and women uh, being empowered to create the reality that we are living in right now. That's what the Women's March is about, all the women's activities are about. And um, I get kind of concerned and upset when the Jewish League has some kind of input in what we're trying to do in the United States. You know, I, I, I find that um, it's becoming a little frightening, how they're having so much input about our freedom of speech and a lot of different aspects that are synonymous with the American society.
0: When you say, I'm and sorry, when in, you say the, the Jewish League, what do you, what do you mean by that? You no, know,
8: I'm not using the right terminology because I, I just woke up. I work at night sometimes, so
0: okay, I'm morning. not
8: quite on speed. But as I recall, I've heard several programs about um, trying to make it illegal to speak, um, against what is happening in, in Israel. And, um, I mean, that has to do with our freedom of speech. And now I hear that the women's league have splintered, or rather the march has splintered into two different groups because of some kind of input, um, from, um, parts of the, I don't even think it's from this country, from the, uh, Jewish population is stemming from again out of the country and and different entities trying to control well, how we
0: move forward. I think you uh, know, I, I think, think you're I forward. think you're right. You're right that there has been some dissent within the march movement and the marches split off into uh, into several sort of uh, uh, factions. Um, mm-hmm. I think going back to what happened, there was some. Uh, there was some controversy over whether uh, Jewish women who were organizers um, uh, were confronted by and or treated fairly or unfairly by other people who uh, 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 thought the march should be more oriented towards championing the issues of, specifically, I think, of women of color. And there was sort of a question of whether Jewish women were uh, sort of holding it down for like the white women's team, so to speak. And there was this sort of factionalization, but it's interesting in your, at the beginning of your call, you said it was, you know, I think you mentioned, I I understand maybe it's not quite the same terminology, but this, the idea of this Jewish league trying to interfere in what we're trying to do. Do you feel like there's an us versus them? And if so, who's us and who's them?
8: And, you know, I don't even think, let me just interject one thing. Yeah. I,
0: this movement,
8: this march, Is about women I don't care if you are into Farrakhan or the head of the Ku Klux Klan I don't you know I want to see women come forward and express their needs and wants because when you come all the way down to the essence we're going to all agree we have we are the women who create humanity we want our children to be healthy we want our children to have food that they can, that is edible and that will nourish them. We want our children in society to have air that they can breathe. You know, things of that nature. That when you really go right to the bone, this is what women really are about. We are the ones who bring human beings through our bodies, and we understand the profundity of that. You know, whether you're educated or you're not, you know, whether you're articulate or you're not. And that's what I want to see happen. I don't want anything interfering with that, you know. I don't care what your personal uh, politics are. It's immaterial. It is time for women to come together and to really protect our environment so we can continue as a group, uh, as a race of people, human beings, you know, not I'm black, I'm white, I'm this, I'm that, you know. This is not what the the march is about, and this is not what our movement is about.
1: So you are listening really to keep humanity going. So you're listening to uh, WBAI ninety nine point five FM. This is Jeff Simmons with my co host Celeste Katz, and the number to call us at is two one two two zero nine. Two We've been talking to a number of callers, but also special guests about uh, the Women's March, about the controversies, but about some of the hopeful signs and how uh, some of this might at least bring some other issues to the fore and how the different organizations get past a lot of the uh, challenges that they face and past the friction uh, that was going on between the different organizations this year as we move towards uh, the presidential election. Uh, So uh, our number again is 212-209-2877 So Celeste I was just uh, looking online a short while ago And while this is all going on And of course I've lost the story There we go So uh, There are now new reports This is not about the Women's March But there are now new reports that the president is expected to propose a deal today uh, to end the shutdown in some sort of oh, yeah, a compromise
0: the, the special that's the special announcement at three o'clock right i wonder if we should yeah actually i wonder if we should cut live to that or maybe we can keep an eye on it and uh and bring in some uh bring in some news about that that would be uh interesting timing of you know choosing very on a saturday also of course well look i mean yeah is it to. uh do you, do you think it's a distraction? I mean, but there's not like there's nothing else going on with the president to I don't, be I, distracting from. I don't
1: think the president has ever done that before and tried to create a new story to distract from another one. This
0: could be something entirely new. <laughs> wow. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, guys? Give us a call. <laughs> 212-209-2877. Um, but yeah, you know, the other thing I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hear from people about, and I think we're going we're gonna to ask people about, is like... Um, we are we are really starting election 2020 it's really starting now it's only the beginning of 2019 but people are already jumping in elizabeth warren has already declared um, uh julian castro declared tulsi gabbard uh declared uh kirsten Gillibrand uh in and uh, we expect more people all the time kamala harris uh, uh, any more of these uh uh you know Lots more of these people. So I'm just wondering if we're going to hear any rhetoric today or any interesting uh, tie ins about uh, uh, today's march and the urgency of the presidential election. Maybe we should just take a moment and uh, listen into the march and see what's going on. For me um, personally,
9: what Tamika was going through as a black woman, I had to adjust my thinking of what we were fighting for far as atonement with them and staying and stand with Tamika Mallory. Oh
10: you better be careful when you use that word atonement, huh? Mm. Yeah I just I'm joking. A That's right,
9: but yeah right let me watch that word atonement because that may make me a full supporter of that of someone that should be denounced. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> but on a real tip. Um so Therefore, with that being said, what we didn't do during our, our repair system was threw honey on Tamika when she was already in a bear fight. So today, a mic and a march won't stop the healing. It's not, And we don't get healed in a day. So we are committed to address further harm that was done and keep building. And that's what black women
10: need to do. We need to build, heal, and be. And that's true I think whether we're talking about organizing on a local level or a national level or an international level or whether we're talking about our personal relationships Absolutely. we all have issues from time to time with each other and I think the question is are we able to address those issues talk with each other in a an honest but re- respectful and honest manner, and then move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it sounds like that's what's and, happening. Yeah, I have and mad you, you know, my sister,
11: I, I don't talk in code, so I know that the person we're speaking of is Minister Louis Farrakhan. Right. Minister Louis Farrakhan has done a lot of wonderful things, and there are leaders of other people that I don't Woo. hate the people under him yes. because I don't like their leader. So I think that this is a good opportunity for women to come together and Absolutely. say... <clears throat> If you don't like my leader, that's okay. If you don't like somebody I like, it's okay. As long as we like or love each other, then we can work together for our common cause. And I think that's the problem with the breach. I've been through what Tamika is going through Mm -hmm. when I ran for the United States Congress. I've been through it when I supported the Million Man March. Mm -hmm. But I've gained a lot of friends that I didn't have before that. And I hope people are not afraid to support their leader, whoever that leader is, and not worry about whether somebody else likes that leader. Obviously, if we think our leader is doing something wrong, we should be the first one to go to him or to her and tell them that. But we don't hate a whole bunch of people just because of who they admire, who they love, and who think is doing something Mm -hmm. to help their community. Now, that may get me in trouble. I'm always in trouble. So it it, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm doing something for my community mm -hmm, and doing something for all women, because we do help all women, Now, when it comes to voting, some of my white friends have admitted they betrayed us by not voting for Barack Obama, by not voting against the person who is our president now, and everybody knows who that mm-hmm. is. I don't even have to call his name. Mm-hmm. We, we refer to him as number 45. But we have to learn that we must stand up for what we believe is right, no matter what the other person thinks of what we're doing or our leaders. And I think when we do that, then we can sleep well at night, we mm-hmm. can get up in the morning, we can be proud of each other. So that little breach between the women, right. I hope that it's not long-lasting, because we have a lot of work to do as women, all of us, not just black women, but all of us.
10: And our goal, of course, it seems to me, is to find common ground. That does not mean we are going to agree in every area of our lives or our political stance, but there is common ground certainly among us as as women. Um, and I'll let you all continue since you're the person being interviewed and not me. Yeah so. definitely
9: <laughs> um, and while we were while we were like in repairmanship, I said but Tamika, what what, what is your plan? Are, are you going to do this? Are you going you coming to the, you coming to dc she said, i'm coming i said i got your back uh-huh. Uh-huh. and from here on i mean i have a love for tamika and i and it was more so i'm here but it was more so a defense mechanism to keep her safe because who keep the black woman safe but, but the that, black woman well,
6: right, right and so
9: basically that's where it was for me here today even though i came to do this more so i was here to keep Tamika Mallory safe and have a voice for DC.
11: Well, you know, I'm uh, president of a national women's group called the National Congress of Black Women. And we have a movement going called Just Respect Us. Uh You know, it's interesting that black women have to ask for respect, but we do. And we're talking about those companies that spend money on, quote, urban stations to Mm. bring filthy uh, music, well, if you can call it music, bringing it, talking and and saying really negative things about black women. I would hope that our white sisters, our, our Jewish sisters, our Native sisters, our Hispanic sisters, our sisters with disabilities, our immigrant sisters, all of them would join us and help to stop these companies for coming to us and and uh, and paying money you know so that negative things can be said about black women on these urban stations and you know who i'm talking about who spend most of their money like mcdonald's like uh uh, all, all these companies uh what's the restaurant with the big sandwiches uh subway sandwiches uh adidas uh pennies Cold. we got to call them out. Don't be afraid to call them out if they are doing harm to our community. And they're doing far more harm to our community than some of the women who are you know, sitting around arguing. So I want people not to make too much of that. Women are together here of all kind, and we're working for the same cause, mm-hmm. humanity. Humanity.
10: Mm-hmm. When I introduced you ladies, I think I misspoke. And said, Black Lives Matter. I looked at your shirts quickly. Your shirts actually say Black Women Matter, and they have the DC logo above it. Tell me something. This is my first time seeing these shirts. Mm -hmm. Tell me something about the origin. And you know I got to have that DC native cap. uh, It's too cold for me me to snatch it off your head right now, but we'll have to make it arranged later. You're wearing the right color. Ultra reunion um, <laughs> here. Okay, so um, tell me about the shirts—the origin and and where they were, are. They available, or did you just get two made for the two of y'all for today? <laughs>
0: Welcome back, everybody, to live coverage of Women's March Day here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons until 4 o'clock. And uh, Jeff, what do you think? What do you think
1: about uh, what we're hearing out there? It sounds pretty intense. We're having some very good guests today. And actually, you know like the fact that we're also hearing from people who sat on the sidelines and people who are out there at the march or marches. And also that we're hearing from people not just from New York City, but we're talking with folks who are in D.C. as well. And I think that's very important because this isn't just a New York City story. It's a national story.
0: Absolutely. And these, uh, you know, these marches certainly are happening all over the country. There's uh, some of them that are probably more organized and some of them that are more spontaneous. But it's been very interesting to me to watch uh, the evolution of of this movement, you know, specifically of the women's march movement. Again, if you know if you're just joining, so I had mentioned it a little earlier in the program that I was in Washington for the first one, uh, for the first women's march right after the uh, Trump inauguration, and it was really a very intense intense thing to see an intense thing to to witness so many people you know people uh, not just women uh, but you know uh, men uh people bringing their children uh you know all different kinds of people all different colors of people you know just uh, you know uh straight, gay, trans sort of it it felt really at that time it it did feel pretty inclusive. And um, I wonder if some people feel like it's still that way or if that's changing or uh, what's happening with
1: that. You know, and I did see some uh, quick uh, footage that uh, folks were posting on Facebook earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of the march that started on the Upper West Side and seemed very thin compared to what I had uh, witnessed, you know, in the in the first March especially, when you could barely move one block over the course of an hour?
0: Oh, you could not. I mean, it was incredible being in Washington at that time, and obviously there was a lot going on with Inauguration Weekend and so on, but uh, the trains were packed. The, the platforms were packed. There was nowhere to I – mean, you couldn't – you really couldn't move. They had all these designated – Uh, entrances and exits and checkpoints and people trying to find each other and and signs and it was it was super intense and um I think a lot of that was you know obviously because they had to have a bunch of security around it any kind of event that's going to attract that many people is going to require a lot of security but um it could be partly could it be uh the weather you know weather coming in uh could it be uh that people are uh, tried at once and uh you know, figured like they've done their part. Maybe they're getting engaged in totally different ways. Maybe they're, maybe they're uh, calling into WBAI at
1: 212-209-2877. So uh, once again, that number is 212-209-2877. I am Jeff Simmons here with Celeste Katz. We're talking about the Women's March. We, wanted, we want you to call us and tell us if you participated today, if you did not participate today. Uh, you know, we want to know why we want to know if you were out there on the streets, uh, what motivated you? Was there a specific issue? Were there multiple issues? And also, I mean, we have been acknowledging that there are, there have, has been a controversy this year. We are curious if that motivated you to either sit on the sidelines or to get out there on the streets today. I understand we have a caller. What's your name and what's on your mind?
12: Um, I didn't go because I had some other things to do, but I'm supporting the march. And I think that one of the things that's missing from the conversation is COINTELPRO. People are not even considering the fact that there are people who are instigators. I'm not saying that, you know, folks' concerns are not concerns, but also the fact that it's taken so much away from what's supposed to be happening. Uh, We really need to look at that. We forget that a lot of young people don't know anything about COINTELPRO. I realize now it's basically uh, legitimate homeland security, but we need to you know, really flesh it out. And I think that the media, well, the media's not going to do it. The press should uh, really take a look at the fact that there may be instigators. They don't want this to be a joint program. They want to do everything to divert people's attention from the issues at hand. So I just wanted to share that.
0: Well, we appreciate it, and I'm glad you called in. And I do think that you might, uh, you said you couldn't go today. You had other things to do. Do you think you might go to a a future march, or do you?
12: Yeah, I I would go to a a future march. I had some other things to do, family matters. I was planning to go to Atlantic City, um, and I was going to leave last night, but things just didn't work out. But I've been protesting things and being involved, as I like to say, active citizen, because when you say activist, people kind of go back and they their the perception has been distorted. So I've been an active citizen since protesting in Vietnam when I was 12.
1: And I'm glad so, you're saying I'm glad you're saying active citizen because one of the things that has been very important for me to stress today is this increase in civic engagement. So that must excite you with this and inspire you.
12: Right. And I'm hoping that one of the things that happens mm-hmm. that I think that we also need to look at is that um, and I I grew up in North New Jersey right around the time when they took civics out of the public schools. And I think that that has a bearing on some of the um, problems that we have when we're trying to organize. Like a lot of older people say, let's organize. We have to understand that not all – it's not a common thing. (laughs) And we have a responsibility as elders to make sure that young people understand what that is Mm -hmm. and that it's not new, and it didn't start with Barack Obama. Um, I think that's critical, too. So organizing, learning how to be citizens, learning uh, what your power is individually and learning what your power is collectively. And as uh, Adam Clayton Powell said, what's in your hands? You know, people are not really evaluating. I think that if we start looking at the potential uh, uh, or the the energy that people have, especially now and have had since 9-11, probably for the last 40 years, is to keep us from joining each other as humans. And figuring out every way to separate us and we have to if, if you understand what your power is and you understand this the significance and the power of community and the power of collective and if you you know use that as your your guide and your priority we can probably oh i hate to use this term this weekend we could probably overcome some of these things but you know for the last 40 years you've taken um uh civics out of the public schools so that's a problem um you you know in terms of the public space it's being co-opted um there's so many things that are happening that we especially the elders we should know because we've seen this before so co-intelpro is critical we recognize that that people understand their power collectively Mm -hmm. that individuals seek to put civics back into the public school and when i say public i'm not talking about public charter i'm talking about public public
1: Thank you very much for giving us a call here on WBAI. I understand we have another caller. What is your name and what's on your mind today? Hello. <laughs> Hello, you're on Hi. WBAI. What's your name?
13: Hi, it's honor. And, and I you... Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, go for it. Tell us what's on your mind. Were you at one of the marches today?
13: Absolutely. I was there at 9 o'clock this morning. Um Holy Square. It was an excellent, excellent uh, program. The turnout was absolutely great. It was organized well. And I just wanted not to dwell on the fact of the quote division. There's no such thing. As usual, when people are organizing and bringing issues to the table, someone or something or some organization is going to try and intervene. But women are together. I was standing with white women, Jewish women, Muslim women, and we we're all sisters. And we all enjoyed ourselves today. And we're motivated to move forward. So we're looking forward to being there next year again. And it was well done. And I think everyone left there feeling motivated and encouraged.
1: So was there one issue that motivated you specifically? Why you felt it important to participate this morning?
13: Well, there's several issues. But I'll take one. Oh, you one Oh,
1: you could choose the several.
13: <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, I I work for an organization on part of a union, BC37, and we have also created a program that we are developing women leaders in in terms of leadership. So for us, it's very important that women issues are addressed, um, and we move forward with whatever support that we can give to other women and be part of and be inclusive, that's what we will do. So many of us that are in our women's leadership program and members at large, we participated today because it is a necessity for us. Because if you're not dealing with women's issues, and you're not dealing with a community, you're not dealing with the community at large.
0: So we need to be involved. And do you feel like uh, people around you, Jeff was saying earlier that, you know, some of the crowds seemed a little bit thinner than in the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, do you feel like people are still sort of dedicated to the cause or, or maybe some people started out at the beginning because it was, it was exciting and trendy and they kind of they kind of fell out of it and didn't want to do the work again?
13: I don't think so. And for me, I did not look at the the crowd. I don't care if it was 10 people because at the end of the day, you know, when you start speaking on an issue and there's a movement,
1: you're not going to get everyone
13: on board. Even in looking, as you said earlier, to try and find a place, whether it's in your organization, whether it's a church, wherever it is, in your school, you are participating as long as you are dealing with those issues that affect our community and ours. And women's issues is basically that. You know, if we don't deal with it, then we are going to have a problem and we need to move forward.
0: Okay, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it, and thank you for listening to WBAI. Uh, we have our next guest uh, on the line. She is calling in from Washington D.C. at the uh, March. There, it is Heidi Seek. She's the co-founder and CEO of Vote Pro Choice. That's a political engagement project of Democrats.com. She's also been the COO of Civic Hall and Democracy.com in New York, and uh, been an interim CEO of uh, COO of Rock the Vote in Washington. She's an advisory board member member of March on Sister March Network and was a partner of the Women's March on Washington. Heidi, good to talk to you again.
7: Oh, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So how's it going? What's the, uh, what's the view from Washington? What's going on?
7: Well, um, right now, the, the Women's March was just a, 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 it was a beautiful day today because we started the march at 11 o'clock and we did a, a march around Trump's International Hotel and uh, marched back around the Federal Plaza and it was a I was really fortunate to be a member of the steering committee and be at the front of the march with um, all of these and my amazing uh, other committee members. And it was a a glorious show of diversity and intersectional feminism and all kinds of people walking together and uh, marching together under our common unity principles. Um, And then it, it was a little chilly. It's a little chilly. Um, we gathered, We um, all came back to Federal Plaza to hear some amazing speakers, which started with some indigenous women who welcomed us to the land, and um, and it's just been a, a
0: great, incredible um, presentation of um, what feminism looks like these days. And so uh, for the people who are listening who might not know, and you said that you were marching with some of the other organizers, you know, you're kind of out front. Who were, who were you with? Who were some of the names that people might know?
7: Well, we actually uh, uh, created—what evolved over the course of the last three years is having the women who were participating in all of the work of the Unity Principles and the policy agenda that was behind the reason we marched, um, a lot of those women were um, asked to join a steering committee, and those included people like Jackie Lewis from Marble Collegiate Church and Abby Stein who was a rabbi in a hyper-Orthodox community, is now a transgender activist. And uh, Pamela Campos, who organizes for immigrant rights. And just an incredible um, group of diverse women who have been participating in the Women's March for the last two years and being of service to the agenda. So it's folks like that.
0: And... What seems to be different? I'm curious as to how the march has evolved over time. And maybe we can get into some of the questions about whether there are factions now in some cities and and so on. But I remember being at the first one and just the the sights and the sounds being truly, truly overwhelming. All these people getting together around all these important causes related to women. How is it different now than maybe it was the first time or the second time? Well,
7: here's the way that I look at it. The Women's March is all of us. It's the millions of people who have... ...after the president was elected. Immediately, there were millions of people that activated into some sort of civic action, and it manifested in certain different ways. Some of us came out to march at the Women's March. Millions more ran for office. Millions more wrote postcards. Millions more joined activists or resistance organizations Millions more decided to activate in their communities on issues that they care about. And we kept marching all the way through it. There were women's marches across the country last year. There were women's marches across the world um, this year and last year. And so what I believe is that we, are, we have to think of the women's march not as individuals. Like There were 673 women's marches since the women's march. They're all run by local organizers and different organizations and different structures with all kinds of different people doing things that are authentic to their communities. And I think that's what we we see. That's why things look so differently is because people and their perspectives in ways that are authentic to them. And it may not always be authentic for a person in Montana to buy a plane ticket to come to D.C. this year. That person may have already run for office or donated to a candidate or participated in some other way. But I know for certain that all of these millions of people are marching. They're part of the women's march in their own way. So for me, that's why I, 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 that's what I believe, why it looks different than maybe the first women's march, which was gigantic and it had celebrities and it had all the organizations there um, present. Now people are, are still expressing the same values and the same actions in ways that are actually directly involved in civic
1: engagement. Mm-hmm. So, in, in talking about some of your adv- advocacy, uh, you know, you were involved with the um, forming, I guess, the, uh, le- uh, the anti Kavanaugh protest organization. Oh, and what, yes. And what's been on yes. my mind recently has been the uh, the health of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So I'm extremely, yes. you know, also thinking about the composition of the Supreme Court, and I'm curious if that was on people's minds today, and if you saw any, you know, type of sentiment about that.
7: yes. Um, That is the issue that I look at at all of this through because it's the work that I do and I have been doing for most of my life. Um, The Women's March participated or or partnered with the Center for Popular Democracy and Housing Work and Vote for Choice and a a handful of other organizations to do what we had to do to try to stop Kavanaugh. And forefront on our minds is what's Particularly reproductive freedom, because we know that there are uh, about twenty cases that are um, potentially could be taken up by that the Supreme Court could indeed decide to overturn this summer, and people are really aware of that. Also, there was an anti-choice march, the March for Life, as they call it, but the anti-choice march
6: it uh, was the yeah, day on before Friday, yeah.
7: yesterday, yeah. And some of those um, protesters were out there with us, uh, standing along the March route. And so we w- it was very clear that folks were um, really understand that Roe v. Wade is at stake and reproductive freedom is at stake. And that's what I appreciate so much about this work, too, the Women's March work and the, the organizing that we've been doing over the last two years. It's really brought some of the things to the forefront that we know have been happening, like the 20 years of of bills that have been coming through state legislatures to chip away at our reproductive freedom, Um, the perspective of immigrant women and the women of color and maternal mortality in America and how it's been dropping. Now, folks are really understanding that these issues have been happening for years, but they're they're forefront on people's minds. So absolutely, reproductive freedom was uh, point and front and center in a lot of the the chance that we were doing today, a lot of the signs, um, everybody knows what's at stake. And do you feel and we're going to make sure more people do?
0: Uh, something that I had asked people uh, uh, a little earlier that we're talking about here on the program for people who. Uh, Look at some of the coverage of the controversies associated with the march, you know, whether, whether that should be the focal point or not, which I presume you know most people who are organizing the thing would hope that it's not, but for people who are looking at it and they're not really sure if they should get involved or if they have to take a side to be involved, what do you, what do you say to those people about about the women's march in general? Um, it, it
7: goes back to what I said at the beginning. We have to be careful to not put. The women's march on the shoulders of these four women. These are four women who are who are who are leading an organization that creates opportunities for us to protest and come out and mass. And the women's march is millions more people. And and we are projecting this sort of preeminent leadership status on individuals when we have to realize that the women's march is everyone who's taken action in the last two years. So. I do believe that we all have to be taking actions that are authentic to us, and I value everyone's perspective. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, uh, I march in partnerships through shared values, and there is very we, we are we are we have very shared values in our unity principles, mm-hmm. which for me is reproductive justice, and I march for that. And okay. people have to be able to take actions that are authentic to them. We are a pro-choice nation everyone gets to decide what activism
0: means to them. Right, and we've had uh, we've had uh, the reason I ask is I mean we've had some callers calling in about about different things. Uh, some people have said uh, you know, look, one, we had one guy who called and said, "Look, I I supported this particular part of the march because I believe in uh, supporting the uh, the cause of the Palestinians." We had another woman call in who said that she was concerned about the organization being uh, interfered with by something she referred to as the Jewish League Uh, she said that might not have been the right terminology and uh, I'm not sure that it was but you know there's there's um first of all I'm not sure how you feel about those specific kinds of comments about like you know some sort of Jewish League so to speak interfering with uh the cause of women's rights and uh well, first, maybe I'll start with that one. I mean, what, what do you say to, to somebody who has this impression?
7: Well, again, if we believe, if we're going to be marching in a mass or acting in mass, if we think that we're all going to be agreeing on every issue, we're crazy. That's just not ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. What we have, what I believe, because we still have free, we have free speech in America, still, for at least a little while, Um, that we have to be able to um, we have to take action that's authentic to us and so if an individual perceives something it doesn't align with their values then take action aligned with your values toward a better world and that's what I will say to everybody it's you've got to align yourself with authentic action toward a better world toward a better vision and if this um, this particular organization does not resonate with your values, take action aligned with your values. I really, it just doesn't serve us to be pointing fingers at individuals saying, you did something wrong and so therefore I'm stepping out of action. That doesn't help anyone at all. The key is to say, okay, this aligns with my values. This is the action that I want to take. I will march with the Women's March or I will march in this group, or I will give money to this organization.
1: That's the, that's the most important thing we need to do right now. So I'd like to thank you, Heidi Seek, uh, uh, co-founder and CEO of Voter Pro Choice, for joining Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI 99.5 FM this afternoon.
0: And, uh, Thank you so much. Heidi, if people want to find out more about you or about uh, Vote Pro-Choice, where can they look? Where can they find your information?
7: They can easily find us at VoteProChoice.us. We, we create the, world, the nation's largest progressive pro-choice voter guide in every election and every general election. So you can actually find out how to vote your values all the way down the ballot at VoteProChoice.us.
0: Great. So uh, thanks again. Good to talk to you again. And uh, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
1: So that was a report from D.C., and now we're going to move back over to New York City with another Heidi, Heidi Revis, who is the chair of the century-old organization Women's City Club of New York, which had a contingent on the, uh, I believe it was on the Upper West Side earlier today. Uh, If you don't know much about Women's City Club, we'll ask Heidi about it. One of its earliest members, one of its earliest founding members was uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. Ah, You might not know that. Heidi Revis, Heidi Revis, welcome to WBAI.
14: Thank you so much, uh, Jeff and Celeste. Uh, we really appreciate your having me today. And uh, it was a cold day outside, but we all were very cozy and, and warmed up for a wonderful day of celebrating diversity and togetherness and progress.
1: You know, despite the weather forecast, I don't know what it is right now outside, but I have to say the it, it was cold, but, uh, you know, it wasn't snowy. We're not getting So far, we're not getting the bad weather that had been expected until maybe later and Anyway, so tell us a little about what it was like, what the theme, you know, the mood was out on the streets. I mean, we're hearing that it was a thinner crowd, but some of the people we've spoken with, who did participate, told us what motivated them. So I'm also curious what motivated you to participate today.
14: Thank you, Jeff. Um, well, I, I found the event very, very uplifting. Of course, uh, hardly a march I've missed. Uh, but today was a, was a special one. Um, it felt like a real coming together of, of friends and families, men and women, and um, especially in this political environment, um, having an opportunity to gather again and uh, the, the weather gods shining down upon us. Um, I think for many of us, uh, making the time to attend the Women's March and also making the time to show a symbol of inclusiveness and togetherness is more and more a priority not to take what we uh, what we have for granted and to really express that we have to show it and take our time and maybe go out of our way to make sure that the message of inclusion is something that is seen and heard far and wide, not just um, in terms of personal daily decisions, but coming together at events like today.
1: And with some of our guests today, we have, you know, we've talked about the controversy, but we've also talked about uh, how inspiring it has been to see a, a uh, continued, an ongoing level of civic engagement. Your thoughts on that?
14: Thanks for asking about that. Um, first of all, at the Women's City Club of New York, which is one of the older organizations that's been very much focused on grassroots activism and trying to participate in making the city a better place for everyone and also focusing on those less represented and underserved. Um, I have to say, I feel that this year is a banner year for New York State that um, we, once again, I'd like to believe, are taking the lead in legislation that really shows we're not just leaning in and listening, but acting and responding, everything from increasing the minimum wage to $15 just a few weeks ago, passing legislation just a few months ago uh, focused on anti-harassment initiatives and discrimination training at all employers uh, to additional legislation supporting the claims of uh, victims of sexual harassment. Um, We're not just marching today in the hope of things happening in the future, but I think our group marched today. And also, to support to support those legislators that actually have made it a priority to act swiftly and make up for lost time.
1: So, in your uh, full-time career, you're managing partner of Revis Page Jump LLP, and this law firm specializes in alternate dispute resolution and litigation, I, my assumption is there are a number of cases that are relevant to women in uh, in your practice. Can you talk a little about how in your career you've been dealing with a lot of the issues that also motivated people to go out on the streets today?
14: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, to give credit where it's due, the firm also uh, does work in various commercial areas uh, that are not necessarily ones you read about uh, in the paper. but uh... on a daily basis we deal with um, i'd say what we call issues of best practices and trying to assist companies and organizations to implement uh, uh... patterns and policies where treatment is respectful and inclusive and opportunity is given uh... in the halls that are not necessarily in the public eye um... so Our work in the employment field uh, focuses on on, uh, working with organizations and individuals to have uh, more of an inclusive and progressive environment. Specifically, uh, recently we've unveiled live trainings that are responsive to the legislation that passed in just this past October that have to do with anti-harassment training and discrimination prevention at the workplace. Because as of October 9, New York State is again in the forefront, one of a number of states um, that have um, legislated uh, uh, having workplaces where people understand not just what some of the problem trends are, but also what their rights are, what the agencies there are that are there to assist and make sure that the information is out and that private employers have an obligation not just to uh, adopt whatever policies they may wish for themselves, but to make sure that their employees uh, take ownership of upholding the law and treating one another respectfully and inclusively. So it's a very important year, once again, for New York State and a handful of other states that really are um, you know, voting with their principal and doing so very quickly.
0: And I'm just curious to know if you think that uh, the Women's March, particularly as a movement, is sort of does it really have a central meaning? Is it just sort of people showing up to march for whatever they believe in? Because we were talking about some of the controversies and one of our our earlier guests said the answer is, look, you're not going to necessarily agree with everything that is put out there by the organizers, but you're sort of marching for what you believe in. Is that, is that really a movement or is that people showing up wearing hats, walking down the same street together?
14: You know, Celeste, that's an insightful question, and I think today's march was less reactive and more uh, a coming together of people feeling like they are, we are, in fact, part of one community. And the recent events leading up to today's march or marches uh, I think for many of us crystallized that those divisions really get in the way of long-term progress and that we actually, like it or not, are part of one community. And that historic issues and differences, while there, shouldn't get in the way of progress and shouldn't be obstacles to our figuring out how to work together to really speed up what has to happen.
1: So I had read a profile of you uh, in which you also talked about being, uh, if I'm correct, a second-generation member of the Women's City Club. Talk to me a little about how your mother inspired you to get involved in organizations and to be civically engaged.
14: Thank you, Jeff. You would appreciate hearing that. Um, well, my mother was a first-generation um, woman uh, of a Greek background who was the first person to go to college in the family and had a career in foreign affairs and became interested in the Women's City Club uh, as an avenue for more local advocacy and sought me out as I was building my own law practice. And at first I told her to... Um, Uh, well, what can I say, that I didn't have time to focus on civic engagement because I was focusing on my own practice, over time uh, I realized that that was short-sighted and that all of us um, if we can take a little time to understand more uh, outside of our own networks outside of the echo chamber that is what is needed to really push progress forward so she inspired me, and I do what I can to um, inspire others as, as much or as little as I can. But I am a firm believer that some of the tremendous rifts that we're experiencing internally within the progressive movement or externally with our nation, really, um, if we can find it within us to begin to identify with others that on the surface we don't have much in common with, that has to happen for us to get over the what seems to be a mountain in front of us.
1: Heidi Rivas, board chair of Women's City Club of New York, thank you for joining us. And for our listeners, by the way, I want to make sure you know the website is wccny.org. Heidi Rivas, thank you for joining Celeste. Thanks, Kotsen-Mate. Jeff
14: and Celeste. Okay, have a good one. Thank You, you, dry. you Ciao. too.
1: Bye-bye.
0: So you are uh, you are listening. I was going to say you were listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI <laughs> 99.5 FM, That's which is what Jeff Thursday. and I are usually doing uh, <laughs> Thursdays I? at five. But we are here uh, for special coverage today until four o'clock of the women's marches. So we're taking your calls and we're very interested to know uh, what your experience was like if you did march. And if you didn't march, why did you not? Our numbers is 212 209 2877 and we uh, have a caller right now so hi you're on the air what's your name and where are you calling from my name is Blue I'm calling from Westchester County okay so what's on your mind today March didn't March and why I did March I didn't
15: March in the last two marches but I had been inspired by uh, a um, radio program last night in which Martin Luther King was um, encouraging uh, people to march, and he stressed the fact that it was your responsibility to take part in the government in order for democracy to work. I was very inspired by his speech on What Is Your Life Blueprint, in which he said that you should have a deep belief in your own dignity, your worth, and your somebodyness, and always feel that you always have ultimate significance. And I felt that it was my responsibility to march, and I met quite a few people. I wasn't going to march because of the weather report, but when I saw the beautiful day, I changed my mind and rushed into the
0: city. And so, um, people march for for lots of different reasons in in these kinds of events. Some people, you know, for reproductive rights or for uh, equal pay or uh, educational opportunity. What what are some of the things that that uh, were important to you as you as you were marching today?
15: I feel that um, as a woman, my voice is sometimes not taken seriously, and I feel that I'm sometimes um, uh, encouraged to take a back seat when, as a woman, I could really contribute so much with what I know and um, my ability to, to listen.
6: Mm-hmm.
15: And so um, my mother was, was very much into um women's rights she was a um, english professor and i had grown up participating in civil rights marches and i think that as a woman it's important for um, president trump to know that we are um, voting and that we're together and there's a cohesiveness and um, we will make our voices
0: heard well that's uh that's great i'm uh, i'm glad to uh glad to hear that you got out there today and uh and i think that uh it sounds like you are carrying on a, a a tradition in your family uh you know your your mother sounds like somebody who uh taught you the uh the meaning of of engagement and why it matters
15: she absolutely did and i tried to instill that in my children
0: thank you so much for calling we really appreciate it and thank you for listening to wbai
16: thank you Bye.
1: And we've got another caller on the line. What is your name and where are you from?
16: Yeah, Charlie. How are you doing today?
1: How are you, Charlie? So tell us a little bit.
16: Okay, just turn it down right here. Gotcha. Uh, You know, uh, I'm an independent progressive. I've been fighting racism and I've been fighting uh, sexism my entire life. And I've grown to the point where I fight not only uh, racism against black people and sexism against women, but sexism against men and sexism against white people, too. Uh, you know, when it comes to identity politics, you're usually talking about black people and you're talking about women. You know, the majority of black people and the majority of women are good, decent, beautiful people. But when you take a group and you decide to put that group first, you're automatically putting humanity and the people's movement second. So this women's march is backwards. Okay, this has hurt the American people because it's preventing us from forming a genuine progressive movement with all people they have they have scapegoated white men and this is wrong this is non-progressive and
0: stupid well okay so let me ask you i mean if they're if if the people in this march say are asking for women to be paid the same amount of money for doing the same job as men uh is that scapegoating white men or is that just asking for things to be fair
16: well, that particular thing is right. That's, uh, that's a good thing. But uh, when you look okay, at their, like what's uh, their, an example uh, of something oh, you finish. think? Let me answer your question. Let me ask you a question. Yes, that's good. Okay. Yeah. But you, if you look at their entire agenda, if you look at their entire agenda, they're scapegoating white
0: men. Okay, Lex. Like, what, what's one part of the agenda that you don't agree with them that's scapegoating white men?
16: what's one part that I don't agree with?
0: Yeah, that you think is, when you say they're scapegoating white men, like, what do they, what do you think?
16: Well, no, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking in very general terms. When, when you look at the, when you look at the women's movement, you see, I, I go back a long way. I've been progressive for many years. But if you look at the, the women's movement, that really, that really just, you know, it was an afterthought of the 60s, by the way. The the civil rights era, uh, that movement, and the anti-war movement really came before the women's movement. The women's movement came like, it was an afterthought after that. But the, the media tries to uh, let, uh, uh give the impression like it was you know that was bleeding bleeding the thing in the so, 60s which is what which it wasn't
0: well i don't know maybe so you think that maybe some of the women marching out there today you know could have had a been making better use of their time you know maybe cooking something well, listen, or no, these, having these, these babies? Are good these,
16: no the people you know black nationalists you know uh, black na- <laughs> you know People in identity identity politics are fighting for the right thing, but they're hurting themselves. And and what they're doing, when when you say my group first, if I say blacks first or if I say women first, you're saying men second. Okay? And this is working against a genuine progressive movement. We need a real progressive movement in this country. We need a people's movement. People's. Which means white men, which means everybody.
0: So uh, okay so thank you so we have our next guest coming up thank you for uh, thank you for your call and thank you for listening to WBAI. Uh, we have our next guest coming up here is that right? Am I right? Okay, great. Uh Let's see. So we are proud to welcome to the program uh, Melissa Mark-Viverito. I'm sure she is a name that is uh, familiar to a uh, great many of you. She was uh, the uh, speaker of the New York City Council. She was uh, the first Latina, uh, first woman of color, first person of color actually to hold the speakership. And uh, she is now running for public advocate. Before she uh, got into politics, she was known as a uh, grassroots uh, activist. She worked in the the labor movement and with Nonprofits, and so, uh, Madam Speaker, pleasure to have you on the line.
17: Thank you so much for the invitation. A pleasure to be with
0: you. So, uh, what are you uh, what are you seeing out there? What's your experience today?
17: So, we we marched, and
0: I mean, look, it's you know, an incredible this this
17: movement and this march in general. You know, having women take to the streets and allies, obviously our allies, uh, to really talk about uh, the inequality that continues to exist. Right, we can't talk about being an equal nation or a just society or being progressive if we're not talking about gender equality and talking about having government be responsive to that inequality. And so I think the idea here obviously this all emerged in response to uh, the administration of the current occupant in the White House. Uh, But I think it just speaks to overall the need for us to continue to assert ourselves. And I'm very proud to be here. I've been uh, at, at these marches since the inception and today was no exception. A lot of, lot of energy, uh, a lot of, of um, good, good, strong messages, and uh, was was happy to join.
1: Was there a core issue that drove you today to participate?
17: I, look, I'm a feminist. You know, I grew up in Puerto Rico, as I mentioned in my story. My mother was a leader in the feminist movement. I was I was raised by very strong women that were asserting themselves and talking about creating more equity and justice in the community and the island that they lived in. And I grew up in that activism. And I brought that into all the work that I do as a professional, whether it's in office or out of office, about how do we build a more equitable city. And I've been very proud of the work that I've accomplished as a legislator and as a speaker of the city council. Um, I believe that the way that we uproot, you know, a lot of these systemic injustices by seeing ourselves reflected in government, women having more equal uh, voice, having representation in government as we make the laws, as we pass budgets, you know, that is the way that we uproot some of this uh, patriarchy. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, excited to be here. It's unfortunate we have to be here, but it's great to see other women that are standing up and saying, you know what, we are going to create a space for ourselves. We ha- we have a right to be in these conversations. We have a right for society to treat us fairly, um, and we have to build that, and, and mm-hmm. having to hold people accountable as part of that process. And, um, you know, I decided to run for public advocate because we've seen a void in women in leadership in the city of New York. Uh, New York is a progressive city supposedly, right? And here we have less women in office in the city council. We have less, you know, we have no women in leadership right now at the city level and that's just not acceptable. So I, Felt compelled, right, to throw my hat in the ring because of that reality, and so uh, I am compelled each and every day to speak up for for us, for for women, for people of color, for equity and for justice, and that's why I felt compelled to be there today.
1: So one of the things that you know, I've, uh, in the last few weeks, I've heard from a number of organizations that they were just so nervous about participating. Uh, because it would seem like they were siding with one organization versus another. I'm curious if there were any of our elected leaders or government leaders that you felt uh, purposely did not show up today that you were disappointed they were not out there.
17: No, I saw elected officials. I ran into uh, an assemblywoman, uh, Joanne Simon. I've seen elected officials. I've seen the Twitter. And there are, I mean, look, this movement is above personalities and above any one individual, right? To me, it was important to be visible and present today and participate in the march that I've historically participated in and I it was not going to be sidelined in any way So I chose to march today and I did see others and I saw that there was a lot of activity on Twitter So wherever people participated, it was important to be present today
1: And I'd asked an earlier guest and I'm curious about your thoughts on this There was a piece in the opinion section of the New York Times today by Michelle Goldberg and she says in the end of it that maybe it was always destined, as far as the march, maybe it was always destined to be a moment instead of a movement. Your reaction?
17: I don't. I mean, I don't. I haven't read it. I don't know the rest of the context of the the essay. Um, I, I don't think it's. Anytime you demand equity or justice, it should never just be a moment. It should be a movement, and it should be an ongoing movement. And until we achieve justice and equality. Uh, there have to be consistent moments and consistent movements to achieve that and so i think we um are seeing a grave injustice being done to this country in in the presence and the continued um omnipresence of this administration they are taking us backwards in so many ways not only with regards to women but in terms of people of color and the hate and the division it's a very dangerous moment right now for all of us and I think that it is irresponsible of any of us to not take the opportunity to exercise our voice and to exercise the strength that we have in numbers to change that reality. And that's consistent across generations and across decades. Uh, there's always a moment, there's always a movement that we have to be a part of because until we achieve that ultimate equality, uh, we can't rest. And that's the way I see it. And that's our responsibility as being leaders and legislators as well. That That's what we
0: have to strive towards. And it's interesting to me or kind of ironic that a movement that's supposed to be about equality and about inclusion has ended up leaving some people feeling kind of alienated or even uh, targeted or victimized. You know, what what do you say to people who look at this and say, look, I believe in equal pay for equal work or I believe in in. Uh, you know the equal rights amendment or i believe in in uh, reproductive yep. rights but but i don't feel comfortable around people who don't think i belong in this group or even marching alongside them how do you how do you
17: deal and that's that?
0: you know those sentiments have are,
17: have you know have to be validated right what people feel is what people feel and we have to you know i'm an inclusive person i am uh, someone that always wants to build consensus and wants to uh, build coalitions and Yes, it is unfortunate that there are people that feel that way and that there is division that has ensued. But we have to figure out how do we engage in the conversation in a productive way and try to bring people together in this. And so, you know, I I'm always one that's tries to be that. I always try to be uh, someone that that brings people together. I don't believe in division. I don't believe in hatred. I don't believe in you know um, in in any of that. And I wanna I wanna be able to be part of whatever conversation to try to bring unity. Uh, Cause division is always, always benefits, right? Those that want to continue to oppress us in some way. And we can't allow that to succeed. So we have to figure out the ways to uh, build that. But what people feel is, is what people feel. And we can't be dismissive of that feeling or just uh, um, uh, or try to reject it. We have to just figure out how do we talk through it, be inclusive and, and build this, you know, make sure everybody in this tent feels uh, that the space is there for them. I am that. That's the, how I feel in general, and I'll lend my voice and whatever effort I can um, contribute to to work towards that end.
0: And in terms of the intensity of this year's march, and I've mentioned earlier in the program that I was at the the first one, the the march in Washington, where it was yeah it was it was really really intense it was it was almost overwhelming like sort of sensory overload and and people feeling extremely passionate about it do you feel like any of the intensity has has sort of waned or do you feel like you know things have changed at all are they are the same or well I mean
17: look I don't I don't I haven't seen the images yet of of what happened in DC right um I, I I think to some extent there is a level of exhaustion too. you know let's be real right every day it's an <laughs> onslaught every day it's just like an incessant barrage of, of where's the attack gonna come from next right I'm Puerto Rican and I'm a woman and what's happening to Puerto Rico is overwhelming to me the way that we've been mistreated it's really exhausting so I think some people just respond to that exhaustion you know in, in different ways and some people want to continue to fight. Some people may say, oh, my God, throw up their hands in the air. Uh, definitely, you know, there was a lot of people at this march. There was a lot of people marching. Uh, and, and it wasn't what I saw maybe last year or the year before that here in New York. Um, but, I, you know, it's, but definitely there is still a level of intensity and people with purpose. And I'm excited about that, and we have to continue to put our nose to the grindstone and and figure out how do we you know make the change that we want to see happen. And so, but you know, look, it, as I said, there is a, a sense of exhaustion because it just feels like the onslaught is is incessant and there's no reprieve in sight. And so sometimes you have to also um, harness your energy, right? And you gotta <laughs> and you gotta rejuvenate in some way, but. Um, I'm, I'm committed to doing the work that needs to happen and uh, excited by what the energy that I saw here today.
1: So uh, since you've been out in the field, you might not know this, but at this point, the, the, uh, supposedly the president is going to make a major announcement at 4 o'clock today in which he uh, offers temporary protections for DREAMers in exchange for border funding. That's what we're uh, reading online right now, and I'm curious what you think about that.
17: We are not bargaining chips. You know what i'm saying i mean i i'm just i I heard that a little bit that that might be with something he presents we're we're not bargaining chips and it it is just uh, incredibly it's frustrating and angers me and it just elicits a sense of outrage in the way that an issue that many of us are so passionate about to bring justice to these daca recipients and those that have tps protections where they're being threatened right to to not have it anymore that is being used as a bargaining chip for promoting a symbol to xenophobia and hatred because that's what the wall represents it is an imaginary crisis that is you being used to to tear us apart and to put all of us who are latinos in a box right that there that we're being stigmatized and that we're being um pigeonholed and looked at in a particular way uh, I, I just, can't, you know, it's just um, outrageous, and I definitely don't want to see us being used as bargaining chips. But it's a very difficult conversation because we know we're literally talking about lives on the line, and you don't want to be dismissive to the importance that DACA protections and that CPS protections provide to people. But we're not bargaining chips, and that's the way that I see a move like that. It's very cynical, you know. It's it's extremely pernicious, and. Uh, I, I don't think we should be a part of that as a democratic party
0: so uh it's, at what point do you think it ends i mean is it just is it just going to be a a perpetual standoff because i mean there are people who are you know have gone without paychecks at this point i mean and i'm not i'm not advocating for that approach to uh you know which what should be like uh, a little more diplomatic
17: but how do we get out of it he, well, the burden here lies with the republican party there's already been those within the Republican establishment, meaning senators, who have said that they would vote an end to the shutdown if that vote were brought to the floor. This is one person and one person only who is holding this up, and that is Mitch McConnell. Because this could end tomorrow. But he continues to allow himself you know, to, to be at Trump's beck and call, and that's just not acceptable. So this could end tomorrow. Right. If him as a quote unquote leader were to be taking his job seriously, there are those in the Republican establishment senators that have said that they would vote into the shutdown if that vote were brought to the floor. And it has not. So it literally is in the hands of one person. So that person has to feel the brunt of this responsibility and everything needs to be done to force him to the table and to force him to bring those votes to the floor.
1: So, uh, Madam Speaker, we're going to have to wrap up in a moment, but I want to ask you the toughest question of your career. I understand from a good source here at WBAI that you used to work here. So what do you miss most?
17: (laughs) I actually was a producer and a host for 10 years at WBAI. Um, And it's a very dear part of my history, and I think about it fondly. It really helped me um, really... Get a perspective and a view, and develop the skill set in terms of critical thinking. You know, it, it was it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. It was all volunteer. I never got paid, uh, but I did it for ten years, and uh, definitely uh, miss it sometimes.
0: So if I if I stick around a little longer, maybe I can be speaker of the city council someday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. Well,
17: thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for the invitation to be part of the show today. Hey,
0: Melissa, Mark Vivarito, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks again. Oh, okay, have a good one. So you are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons, and we are talking about the Women's March.
1: So we're going to be wrapping up our two-hour special in just a moment. We would like to thank you, our listeners, for calling in today with your very strong opinions. We'd also like to thank our wonderful guests, including uh, Melissa Mark-Viverito, who we just heard from a moment ago.
0: Right. We had uh, Simone Sanders. We had um, Heidi Seek. We had um, Heidi Rivas. Heidi Rivas. And we had uh, uh, Zaki Ansari. Uh, and we had you, you, our callers. And we appreciate uh, every call that you uh uh, share with us every time you share your thoughts with us. That's uh, that's great. We love to hear with you. You know, we can't always uh, agree or disagree on everything, but um, it's uh, it's cool to know that people are out there actually listening to this program, and it's a, a pleasure to be with you.
1: So, have a great weekend, and remember to keep tuning in to WBAI 99.5. It's up DJ. Don't
12: be scared to run this, run this back. I'm for the girls are taking over the world. class for the
10: college grads. 41 rolling.
5: Listeners. We have a proposition for you.